Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. And just like everywhere else in the country, Las Vegas loves its dogs. And over the recent Thanksgiving holiday, the dog world celebrated the very best of the nation's show dogs at the National Dog Show coming from Philadelphia, which is televised every Thanksgiving day each year to huge viewerships. Now, one of the voices from the show is NBC's David Fry, and you'll meet him today. Last week, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, gushed over the new Circa Hotel and Casino. Today, Scott goes into more detail about Circa, including a look at Stadium Swim. Later on, we discuss ideas for your next dinner party with gourmet chef Justin Wells of La Petite Maison. But first, you can almost hear the barking. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go Let's face it, it's become your Thanksgiving Day tradition, much like the turkey and the uh, the Thanksgiving Day Macy's Parade. You gotta watch the National Dog Show. It's on NBC every year, and it's a must-see. And we got the guy, the dog's best friend, he's been called the guy who invented dogs, <laughs> David Fry. David, so great to have you here. Is this kind of your Super Bowl of the year? Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, well, yes, it is. I've been involved in doing dog shows on TV for 30 years. Um, NBC has taken this dog show with the Kennel Club of Philadelphia, made it into the national dog show for airing on Thanksgiving Day right after the Macy's Parade. And we have, last year, we had about 25 million people watch this dog show. It's unbelievable. Well, people just love it, I think, because we love dogs, number one. And there's something about it, the way it's presented on NBC, the way you guys do it. It's, it's enough information that even if you're not into that whole world of dog shows and so forth, you can really enjoy it. Well, it's we edited into a two-hour show for for entertainment, of course, and and uh, we can't show you every single dog. Dog shows take six, seven, eight hours to, to to stage, so we can't get everybody in there. But we get a lot of them in there, and a lot of the different breeds and varieties. There's 178 entered at this year's show, and so we get to show you probably half of them. Well, we're going to show you all of them in some fashion, but we devote some serious time to the dogs that are in the finals, and uh, that's always a great fun. We try and vary that every year. So, yeah, we have fun. We kind of look at it as an educational process for people to learn about the different breeds. You know, hey, what's the deal on that poodle haircut? So things exactly. like that, we have fun with that. And the broadcast team, I love you guys. I mean, John O'Hurley is just so great, and you guys look like you're having fun there, which which makes it all the more enjoyable to watch. Well, thank God, because we've been together 19 years now. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. I've got a lot of relationships in my world that have not lasted that long. And, <laughs> um, but John's fun, and, and we'll be sitting there, and, and he's learned a lot about the dogs. But, you know, he's a professional. He's an entertainer. He's a professional. Uh, he was involved in some little serial uh, some little comedy show uh, <laughs> called Seinfeld before he got to me and I made him famous through the dog show. But, but we'll be sitting there every once in a while and he'll say something and, and, and I'll say, 
that wasn't John O'Hurley. That was Peterman. I said, where's Jerry? Where's, where's Kramer? Where's George? Where are they? Where are they? I feel like I'm on a show. But, um, yeah, we do have a good time about it because it's entertaining. Who doesn't look at a dog and smile? You know, that's yeah. really what it's all about. Well, that's really true. Now, it's hosted by the Kennel Club of uh, Philadelphia. It goes back, to, as I understand it, to the 1800s. Is that right? They uh, had their first show back in the 1870s and, and had shows sporadically, but started doing a show every year in, in the 30s, in the 1930s. So they've been around a long time and uh, got some great history, of course, back in, uh, back in Philadelphia. And uh, so it, it's a fun show because they're serious about their show and we're serious about our dogs. But at the same time, uh, we know it's entertainment and, and we're all having a good time. So there's a lot of dog breeds out there, over 200, and you got seven different groups. So can you kind of just kind of run us through those different groups and how they differentiate? Sure. Well, let's talk about how the dog show works. You know, we have, it's like an advancing bracket in sports. You know, think March Madness. The, the first level of competition, the, we have, we usually have an entry of 2,000 dogs. They're divided into as many as 208 different breeds and varieties. They compete first, all the dogs compete first at the breed level. And those breeds come to us, those 208 breeds and varieties come to us in seven different groups. So first of all, we're going to have competition at 208 different, different breeds. So the breed winner then advances into its group. The Irish setter is chosen to be best of breed, advances into the sporting group where it competes against other breed winners like the English setter or the English cocker or the cocker spaniel um, um, and other sporting dogs. And then, uh, so we have seven groups. So those 208 winners advance into seven different groups. Uh, the sporting group, the hound group, the working group, the terrier group, the toy group, the non-sporting group, and, and the herding group. So now those guys are competing against other breeds, different breeds from their same group. And we pick a winner of each group. So we have seven group winners. They advance to best in show where a best in show judge picks one of them to be best in show. And that's the ultimate winner. We've come down from 2,000 dogs to one at the very end. And it's um, wow. a thing of beauty. Well, yeah. But how does like a Chihuahua compete with, <laughs> with a German Shepherd? I, 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 it's a matter of, I guess, a certain criteria that goes across the breeds, right? So I'm just wondering how you compare the two. Well, each breed has a written description of the ideal specimen of that breed. It's called a standard, and it usually is relating form to function, what a dog was bred to do. Originally, it should be built to do that job. And, and, and in, like in the hound group, we have the Irish wolfhound, the, the biggest breed of all, uh, competing against the dachshund. Well, you can't compare an Irish wolfhound to a dachshund. You can compare the Irish wolfhound to the ideal Irish wolfhound, the perfect Irish wolfhound in your mind. And, and then you compare the dachshund to the perfect dachshund, and you see which one of them is, is a better representative of their breed. And that's how you're going to determine the placements at that point in time. And, and uh, it, it can vary. I mean, the dachshund can win some days, and the Irish wolfhound can win other days. So uh, the judge has to use what's in that standard, has to be able to imagine them doing the job they were bred to do, and picks the winner accordingly. Now, David, I have to ask you an embarrassing question, but when, I, when they heard you were going to be on the show, they said, you got to ask it. So I said, okay. There's always the picture, and, we, and it's usually, it seems like it's an older lady, and they check the undercarriage. What exactly are they checking there? <laughs> the it's always a great part. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the original purpose of dog shows was to identify superior breeding stock. So, so to choose the, the dogs to make the next generation of dogs. And so uh, the, dogs, the dogs have to be whole. 
as we say. So <laughs> a male dog can't be neutered. It has to have both of uh, it has to have all the equipment back there, and it has to be in, in normal shape and condition. So that's what they're doing back there. They don't spend a lot of time back there, but. <laughs> But they're just making sure everything's in place, and that's part of the deal. Now, you know the dogs. People see them, and they're just such beautiful dogs. And another question people ask is, are, do these dogs have a chance to have fun? You know, like, like the other dogs wagging their tail and running around? Because so much is expected of them when they're going through these trials. Well, they're having fun because they're there with the people that they love, and they're doing things for the people that they love. And, 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 you know, I always try to tell people that these are real dogs and we're real people in this great family sport. Uh, our dogs do the same thing at home during the week that your dogs do. I mean, they steal food off the counters. They shed on our dark clothes. They <laughs> probably even take a drink out of the toilet every once in a while. But they, we just dress them up a little bit, so to speak, on the weekends and take them to dog shows. And they go to the dog shows and they have fun because they're there with their people. They're there showing off for everybody. And they are having a good time. If they're not having a good time, it's not going to be fun for you, the handler, either. So you're either going to find a different dog to bring or uh, or find another activity. So that's what it's all about. Real dogs, real people. More with NBC Sports Broadcaster and American Kennel Club Judge David Fry in just a few moments. Just a reminder, please visit Vegas Never Sleeps and our great new show, Sports Rock and Tours, online. For the best in Vegas, it's VegasNeverSleeps.com. For great sports interviews, visit S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. This is a time-sensitive message from the Back Pain Relief Hotline. Millions of people across the nation are suffering from back pain. Are you? Are you on Medicare? Is it hard to walk, to bend over, or even do simple things? Well, we have great news. If you're on Medicare, you could qualify to receive a pain-relieving back brace. We'll handle all the Medicare paperwork if you qualify and ship your new back brace right to your door. Make sure you have your Medicare card ready and please call. Call us right now and get all the details. It only takes a few minutes. Imagine doing everything you used to do before your back pain. With your Medicare card ready, call the Back Pain Relief Hotline today. Call now. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. That's 800-419-1964. Paid for by the Health Alert Hotline. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to David Fry, one of the voices of the National Dog Show on NBC. Well, you've been in this a long time. You must like the people that do that do these shows. They have to be a special breed. I mean, they got to be animal lovers and perfectionists, I would imagine. This is a sport like any other. There's winners and losers. Yeah, it's very competitive. Uh, I will say that. Uh, that there are very talented people presenting these dogs, and the thing is that you may see them in the dog show ring, and the judge may see them in the dog show ring for two minutes or three minutes. But it's a lifetime of dedication by these people in terms of training and conditioning and grooming uh, uh, to get the dog ready to be in competition. And, and uh, we have some very talented people who, are, who have to be able to know everything there is to know about each breed so that they know what the strong points of their dog may be so that they can make sure the, dog, the judge notices those things. But the best handlers really are invisible anyway. We, we, you know, they just kind of have to stay out of the way of the dog and not distract from the presentation. So, but they're hardworking people, the professional handlers. The owner handler really is the heart and soul of our sport, somebody who owns and handles uh, their, their own dog. So you know, we have a lot of fun on many different levels. It's a silly question, but is the name important? I mean, there's no rovers or spots out there. <laughs> no, but we get a lot of dogs that are named after, like, song titles. You know, uh, uh, what did I see one? I can't, I can't drive 55. That's um, <laughs> great, Sammy. I got, I mean, that's right. I had a dog named uh, Champion Stormhills Who's Zooming Who. That's an Aretha Franklin song. We were going to make her call name Aretha. You know, in 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 uh, honor of Aretha Franklin and that great song. So you see a lot of songs like that. There are also sometimes where there's a name and you don't know what it is, and they say it's an inside story, and I can't tell you. <laughs> so so it's fun. But you know, the registered name with the AKC is limited. I think now to thirty different uh, letters and characters. And uh, then, but you're not going to call a dog, hey, hey, Storm Hills, who's zooming? Who? Come on over here. It's going to be, hey, Zoomy, come on over. Aretha, come on over. So, um, so we have that that flexibility. The breeds are really interesting too. I mean, we've seen different breeds all of a sudden become accepted by the AKC. I know you've got three new ones this year, and I kind of want to just run through them. I find this fascinating. The Barbet, B-A-R-B-E, a French dog, and the word actually Barbet actually comes from the French word for beard. But it's a dog, it's a French water dog, sporting dog, uh, that, that, uh, is loaded with black curly hair. And even, uh, the parent club says the dog looks like a Muppet. And so it's one of our newly eligible breeds this year. The other is the Dogo Argentino, which is a, a substantial hunting dog that was bred to, to hunt, uh, wild boar. More with NBC Sports Broadcaster and American Kennel Club Judge David Fry in just a few moments. Time now for your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. The reviews of the Circa Hotel and Casino have been very positive, and perhaps the thing that really stands out is Stadium Swim, a series of pools that brings the casino outdoors. Scott, what makes it so special? I think a lot of this stuff is a manifestation of the dreams and fantasies of Derek Stevens himself because he's a pool party guy. And not only does he have this massive pool complex with six pools, outdoor gaming, you know, all the 
the trappings of, you know, cabanas and that whole world. But it's got yet another massive video screen for sports, I presume. Uh, that is what they will be playing mostly on it because he's a big sports fan and he knows his customers and he knows his customers like sports. But this thing is absolutely massive. So you get to be at your pool party and you get to watch sports. It's, it, it really is just a sports, uh, sports fan's dream. And I, I think the pool is going to generate a lot of uh, revenue for them once, once we can get back to, you know, post, the post-COVID world. Uh, I think this place has, you know, a capacity of many, many thousands of people per day. Uh, so they won't know if it's going to meet that expectation in the middle of COVID because of all the capacity limitations. But it's really, it's just a beautiful spot. And all the pools light up. It's just, it's a great uh, atmosphere. They knew what they were doing. You know, they they did a lot of market research and just drew upon all the best practices. Uh, one of the coolest thing about, I, I think I forgot to mention this, but in the hotel, uh, they've got this ventilation system that actually pushes air up from the floor, uh, which is very from the traditional kind of uh, ventilation, which pushes cool air down. But it's when you get home and you don't smell smoke on your clothes, you know you've had a good time at a casino, and that and the ventilation system is is quite advanced. And uh, I think there's a little hallway at Aria that has the same system, but they've done this throughout the whole casino. So, yeah, between the pool and the restaurants and the bars and the gaming, you know, they've got their dancing dealers. It really is just it's a fun, fun next evolution for downtown. And, uh, you know, it really it was just the perfect timing uh, because, as you said, things were looking pretty bleak. But they built this thing and opened this thing in the middle of what is arguably the most challenging period in the history of Las Vegas. And it seems to be doing very well. That speaks to Derek Stevens, though, doesn't it? I mean, you talk about a a real Wild West gambler. There's your guy. He's playing it in the toughest time, and he's got he's all in, and he's looking at it, and he put out a good product. It would have been easy to try to delay or maybe back up a little, and uh, he he pushed all the chips in, and it looks like it's paid off so far. Yeah, I mean, one interesting aspect of this was the idea. There are requirements that if you open a casino, you have to open two hundred, at least two hundred rooms, uh, and that's to keep these companies from kind of coming in, promising the moon to you know the planners, and then changing course and going, "Ah, oh, we're just going to have some slot machines." So, so that requirement of opening rooms with a casino—that's a long-standing uh, policy. So Derek Stevens went and said, look, I, I can't get my guys up in the lifts. I can't get them up in the elevators because the COVID limitation was like two people per, you know, elevator ride. He, he said, we, we need four or 600 guys up there. So he said, how about if we split the opening date? So he got to open the casino part uh, on October 28th and then push back the room part to December and beyond. So it was very smart and it, it was a move, kind of political move, there was a really huge benefit to him to have this thing done in 2020, though, because uh, there were some tax breaks that uh, will allow him to write off all of the slot machines they've invested in, uh, in as part of 2020, as opposed to, in many cases, you can't uh, kind of write off machines for depreciation. You have to do that over five or six or seven years, I think. But he if they finish by the end of 2020 and open by the end of 2020, he gets to write off that massive cost of all those slot machines. So there's a lot of smart people at work. 
uh, much smarter than me. And but as you said, like they they put their money where you know where their mouths are because Greg and Derek Stevens to put a one billion dollar resort in the middle of downtown. Everybody's sprucing up. Uh, I I walked over to California. They're putting on a new coat of paint. Uh, <laughs> you walk yeah. over to the plaza. They replaced all the bulbs in their porte cochere. Like it really uh, is kind of hopefully lifting all all the boats downtown. Thanks, Scott. Visit VitalVegas.com every day for the best in Vegas news. We're really excited about Sports Rock and Tours, which now follows the show on most of these stations. If you can't get it on the dial, you can still hear it online. Go to SPORTSRACX.com on the web to hear the show and listen to past programs as well. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are talking with NBC sportscaster David Fry, who broadcasts the National Dog Show every year alongside actor John O'Hurley. And then the third dog that's eligible uh, this year is the Belgian Lacanois, which is a, a, one of four Belgian breeds that are herding dogs, but used a lot in police work and, and security work in, in uh, Belgium and other places closely related to the Malinois, the Belgian Tribune, and the Sheepdog. So um, those three dogs, we call them new breeds, but they're breeds that have been around in other parts of the world for a long time. It's just that now... Finally, in this country, for the AKC to make them eligible to compete in dog shows, there have to be enough of them. They have to have a geographic distribution. They can't all live on a farm in Tumwater. And, and uh, they need a parent club to watch over them and take care of them. Have we seen hybrids that all of a sudden have become AKC breeds? Does that happen very often? There's a number of breeds that got their their start that way, but basically, you know, you have to be breeding a, a purebred dog to a purebred dog. But but there's a, the Chesky Terrier, for example, was recently recognized maybe ten years ago. But it's it was a product of Scotty's being bred to Celium Terriers, and and eventually, it's it's like the question always comes up with Golden Doodles. They say, when are you going to recognize Golden Doodles? I say, well, we have to. The dogs have got to be at the point where they're reproducing true, where you can't just breed a golden to a poodle because you're going to get products that are always look, that always look different. I've never met a golden doodle that didn't have the greatest temperament and personality, which is understandable with those two breeds, but they all look different. And, and we, we have no way of judging them. We talked about the Britain standard that describes them. You know, how tall is a mixed breed like that supposed to be? Well, you can't say that because they're all different sizes. They all have different kinds of coat. They all have, you know, different bodily body uh, shape and things. So eventually you got to be breeding golden doodles to golden doodles to get golden doodle puppies and hope that they all look alike so that you know the, the best thing about purebred dogs that we talk about for dog shows is their predictability. I know this little four-pound ball of fluff, if it's a Pomeranian, it's going to grow up to look much different than the four-pound ball of fluff that's an Akita, even though they might right. look somewhat similar when they're puppies. Uh, you need to know because if you're buying a puppy and, and, and they tell you it's going to grow up to be 20 pounds and it grows up to be 70, um, that might be too much for you to handle. And, and the predictability is important in finding the right dog 
for your family and for your lifestyle and, and uh, being able to to be ready for that. Well, that's a fascinating part of this, David. People have to realize when they watch the dog show that, yeah, those are great dogs and they'd be fun to pet and all that, but this is a sport. And there, it really it has different set of rules. So just because a dog is particularly nice or seems smart doesn't necessarily mean they're a great show dog. Well, it's also a matter of personal preference. I mean, these dogs are judged by three different individuals during the course of the day. If they go all the way to best in show, they've got to impress the breed judge so they become best of breed. They've got to impress the group judge to win the group, and they have to impress the best in show judge to go best in show. And we all have different preferences. We may interpret those standards a little differently. I, my original breed was Afghan hounds that I got involved with showing. And we have, our, our breed's a large breed, so there can be a lot of variation and some subtle variations in, in these dogs. But we used to say, uh, this person's a headhunter. They like beautiful heads. This person's a movement judge. They like a dog that moves well, and they might forgive a head that's not quite what we all want it to be. So, uh, so there's a lot of room for individual interpretation like that. We call it an artist. You've got to be equal parts artist and engineer. You have to have a, a, a beautiful picture, good balance, all the breed traits in the right place. And an engineer means that you, you want to make sure all the angles are right and the dog is the right size exactly and things like that. So there's always room. A different judge may judge the same group of dogs and put up different winners the next day. So. Well, as I guess people are figuring out by listening to you, you're not just the voice of the the hound, but you're also a breeder, owner. You've done all that stuff. You mentioned Afghan hounds. I know you did Britneys. I want to talk to you about the other breed that you did because I have uh, my best friend has one, and they're a fascinating dog, and that's the Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Really smart dogs. They're so good looking sometimes that they almost don't look real. They uh, are beautiful. They look like little stuffed animals, but... You know, they're a toy dog. Um, they have a great temperament and personality. I'm very involved with therapy dog work, and my dog Angel uh, was was part of uh, part of my charity called Angel on a Leash. She just passed uh, in February at the age of 13, but she had done great things as a therapy dog, visiting the Ronald McDonald House in New York City for kids with cancer, visiting uh, the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City, that uh, constantly coming with me occasionally to. Um, to the VA hospital when my other dog, Grace, who normally visited the VA hospital, uh, couldn't come. So um, they do a lot of great things in that respect, too. But a lot of dogs can do those things, and we hope that we can keep them going. Well, that is a great charity. We'll, we'll tell people how they can get involved with that before we go. But dogs do seem to have the capability to bring smiles to people's faces, and they can go in the hospital and, and I don't know what it is. Is it an instinct they have or something? It can bring the best out of people. They're just wonderful that way. It, it is pretty amazing. But, you know, a dog walks into the room and the energy changes. And it can be a hospital room. It can be with kids in a gathering it can, at a school. Or it can be with my veterans at the VA hospital uh, lying on their back in bed. That uh, That the dogs just can make a difference because people can relate to the dog uh, they'll see the dog and they'll smile. That's the starting point. But it gets, you know, it can go up beyond that. They get the, the tactile part of touching them and petting them and stuff, which is you know, which is kind of tough for us to do right now. But uh, we're, we're doing some of that virtually. It's hard to believe. But, um, yeah. So the dogs can change people's lives. I, I, we've touched a lot of people with our dogs and, and helped the healing process. You interact with a dog and your blood pressure goes down. The science has shown that. But, your heart rate slows, your your respiratory rate slows, the, the flow of the good hormones, the endorphins, 
increases. Um, there's a lot of things that happen with the dog. Or uh, my dog, Grace, we visit the VA hospital every Wednesday in New York City, and she helped with PT, the physical therapist and the occupational therapist, who were helping teach guys how to use their new prosthetic limbs. And, and and Grace would help them with that stuff. So. That is fantastic. You know, just take one dog and you'll feel a whole lot better. And, I, you know, if people want to get into this, so it's, first of all, they want to get into the world of show dogs and so forth. Any suggestions for them? Because it, it's a real commitment. It's not just, well, I'll, I'll go get a good dog from a good breeder and go to a show. It's a lot more. Go to a dog show. Go to a dog show. See the dogs. Talk to the breeders. Um, the Kennel Club of Philadelphia that puts on the National Dog Show, that, that show is normally benched where the dogs have to be in a certain area when they're not being shown. We couldn't do it this year because of all the, all the pandemic rules. But um, get there, you can see all the beagles lined up in one place on a bench when they're not being shown. And, uh, and you can talk to the breeders and the owners. You can find out things about the breed. You can see if maybe it fits your family. But that's, um, that's part of what we do with dog shows is try to educate the the, the general public about uh, about the breeds and helping them find the right dog for them and their family. Well, the big one, of course, is in Thanksgiving. That's kind of the Super Bowl of this, the, the dog, the National Dog Show. Uh, there's a couple of others you cover, though, right, on uh, a couple of the big networks that draw a lot as well. Well, I did the Westminster Dog Show on USA Network for 27 years. I started doing that in 1990 and then stepped over to, do, to add uh, the National Dog Show uh, on NBC, NBC owned the USA Network, uh, so there was a natural connection there. But when Westminster's contract was up um, with with the USA Network, and they moved to Fox, they wanted me to come with. NBC wanted me to stay with them, and uh, and I chose to stay with NBC. It's, it's been a great thing in my life to be involved with it, the NBC guys. We'll be back with National Dog Show broadcaster David Fry in just a moment. We are excited. Each week, our new show, Sports Rockin' Tours, follows Vegas Never Sleeps in most markets. If your station doesn't carry it, there's two things you can do. First, call them and ask them to carry Sports Rockin' Tours. Secondly, go to sportsracx.com, where you can hear this week's show, as well as programs from the past. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast-to-coast on the Talk Media Network. Hi, this is Andy Martello, Las Vegas entertainer, award-winning author, voice of the Las Vegas Aviators, and generally tired human being. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. 
Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. You are listening to David Fry, analyst from the National Dog Show on NBC and the founder and chief of Angel on a Leash, which facilitates therapy dog visits to hospitals and healthcare facilities. So anyway, yeah, and I've done a few other shows I've gotten involved with. But the main thing that I've gotten involved with is the therapy dog work. And the, this, I have a great platform because of all the people that watch our dog shows. I have a great platform to talk about therapy dog work and encourage people to get involved and do things with their dog that, that are good for other people. And it gives you an activity with your dog, the dog that you love, that you can get out and volunteer in, in any kind of place. There's a lot of places you can ex- extend care. You can go to hospitals. You can be involved with kids. Depending on your dog, your dog has to have the right temperament for it too. So, um, but I think the the natural thing with dogs is to be wagging that tail and be happy. Absolutely. Let's tell people how they can get involved with Angel on a Leash. You can go to the website angelonaleash.com. dot com, and and we uh, had a five hundred one c three in New York City, and when I moved back to here to the West Coast in Seattle and in Oregon, that uh, I turned that over to it. A gentleman named Steve Kramer who's carrying on and doing great for us, but it's Angel on a Leash, all one word dot com, and you can find out about that. If you want to find out about uh, the the, uh, the Kennel Club of Philadelphia? Um, we do uh, we do this dog show every year, so it's it's uh, actually the National Dog Show dot com on um, online, mm-hmm. and you can find out about our show, and you can find out about the Kennel Club of Philadelphia and the other things that happen with NBC. But we're on uh, from noon until two on Thanksgiving Day on NBC. Uh, we say it's dogs until two. Don't let the remote fall into the hands of those football people. Um, <laughs> and then and then it repeats. We repeat on Saturday night at, at eight o'clock. Uh, nice. Uh, on the, so if you on got money Coast. on the game th- Thursday, you can still watch the thing on Saturday. It's good. <laughs> and one, you got one last thing, David. This year is a little different because of the pandemic, but uh, it's kind of changed a little bit of what's going to happen there. Is that right? Is that, like, there no crowd this time? Well, you know, no spectators. So we did the same thing that uh, many of the pro football teams and baseball teams have done. We do, we have cutouts in our stands. You know, I had uh, I'm a season ticket holder for the Seattle Mariners up here. I have four cutouts in my office right now that just came back to me from T-Mobile Park here in Seattle of my four dogs that I've had over the years. So we did the same thing with our dog show for charity and went to the AKC Pet Disaster Relief Fund, uh, the proceeds for for buying your cutout. And uh, and that's our that's our that's our audience this year. They're not quite as loud as our normal crowd. We usually have you know ten, twelve, fifteen thousand people watching the dog show in person. So uh, that's the first thing you'll probably notice. Um, the dogs don't notice, and when you're watching the competition, it's not going to look that different. Uh, it'll just maybe be a little quieter. <laughs> uh, we'll see what we do about the, no- the noise level. But um, the judges are wearing masks. The handlers are wearing masks. The dogs, of course, are not. But we're practicing social distancing everywhere, and, and even with the dogs and the people. So um, so we think you'll notice the difference. We want it to be a safe and healthy environment and an event for, for the people in our sport and the people who are involved with staging it. So. Um, we think we've done a good job of that with the Camel Club of, C- of uh, Philadelphia. 
David Fry, thank you so much. Please come back. We want to talk more dogs with you. <laughs> Let's do it again, Stephen. Thank you so much. You've been great. Thanks for having me on. It's the holiday season, and that means dinner parties, well, at least in normal years, but sooner or later, it will be party time. And I asked gourmet chef Justin Wells if he curates his parties. You know, it's funny, when we invite people over, I tend to think pretty long and hard about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and and sort of the environment. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, t- I tend to try to, like, flip it on people, which is always kind of surprising to them. People that come to my house and they expect that they're going to eat the food like the restaurant, I tend to make them something very, like, rudimentary and all-American. You know, maybe not a hot dog, but you get my point is, like, yeah. I kind of surprise them where it's like, oh, we're having nachos, you know, like, and they, they always kind of get a laugh out of that versus the people that I feel like maybe don't have as great of appreciation and might feel some intimidation behind, like, a dinner party. I'll tend to pizzazz it up just to try to, like, show the light to them, you know what I mean, kind of, like, lead them to water. I, I tend to, to do that. In our my wife is very big in traditions, and so around the holidays, we tend to be very traditional in what we cook and how we serve and things like that. And I really like that sort of formality to those types of meals, and so um, they tend to be, uh, you know, Groundhog's Day to a certain degree. But, um, but yeah, I think it's fun to kind of game the system when you're inviting people over. I know you travel for food, you go to France and so forth. Do you have any kind of, as somebody who's dedicated their life to great food and so forth, do you have any kind of a bucket list, like any particular restaurant you got to go to or a particular culture that before you go, you want to see it and kind of dig into it? Yeah, Spain is really on my list. Um, I really want to spend some time um, in Spain. I think that it's really a huge melting pot. Uh, I would love to spend some time on the Mediterranean. I think that that would be pretty spectacular. That's definitely like a f- warm weather food that that we don't get exposed to a lot here. Um, Japan is high on my list. I think that if you talk about dining excellence, I don't know that anywhere does it better than Japan. I mean, that's a culture of pride, and they tend to do things to the most finite degree. Um, and I think that that would be spectacular. I know that um, people get really geeked out about sushi, and while I think sushi is fun, I've never really seen the light. I don't really find it to be ethereal, but I also find that people say, you know, you got to have it in Japan. That's really the kind of beacon of it, so I think that it would be fun to go there and see kind of what the hype is all about. Um, And then Portugal is high for me. I've never been. I've heard the food in Portugal is spectacular. The wines don't really necessarily speak to me, but I think that that's one of those places where if you're in the environment and have the wines in the environment, they would probably be a little little bit more exciting. It's hard to take some of those things out of the climate that they come from and enjoy them elsewhere and really understand why the way that they are. But... um, yeah, I think those are probably my top three at this point. I've eaten at a lot of three-star Michelin, and I've eaten at a lot of really famous places around the world. And, now, yeah. what about like in Japan? You know, the Kobe beef, the you know, uh, Wolfgang Puck sells in Vegas for fifteen hundred dollars a steak. I mean, is that something? Because I don't know. I don't think they could cook the fifteen hundred dollars steak. And this is just between you and me. Can't be better than that pork steak you made the other night. I just I don't <laughs> think it'll be better. I really don't. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, again, a lot of it is kind of like, I always use the term, like, eating the Mona Lisa. You know, it's like, um, it's kind of a been there, done that, I got the t-shirt sort of thing. So I find that people love eating A5 and and frog legs and things like that, and a lot of times the return value is next to zero, and because people just say, okay, I had it, it was awesome, but I don't need to return to that. Um, and so I think that the realities of those sorts of things and those sorts of meals kind of tend to be more exciting about having them versus the actual having them themselves. Thanks, Justin. When you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do. And I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas. But by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience. So you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. Have you been Portnoyed yet? Well, you should be. What does that actually mean, Neil Portnoy? Well, you know, Mona Van something. She's a psychic. Her name just slips me at the moment. At one of my networking events said, you know, you're nobody in Vegas until you've been Portnoyed. I went, ooh, I kind of like that. So we started marketing, doing those portrait caricatures, and it's really caught on. Everybody wants to be Portnoyed. And what Portnoyed means is, you send me a photograph, and I do a realistic cartoon caricature. Realistic looks just like you, and then I cartoon the body. And you then become part of the Portnoyd Wall of Honor here at Portnoy Gallery, which now, since its inception in 2017, has got over 60 members on the wall. It's the new Sardis of Las Vegas. Absolutely. Our own John, the announcer, is there. How do we get information we want to get Portnoyd? Uh, you can call the gallery at 702-685-2929 or on social media, Facebook, Portnoy Gallery, artist Neil Portnoy, Neil Portnoy, idrawpeople.com, and probably about six other places that at my age memory is the second thing that goes. Well, in the next hour, you'll hear the first hour-long edition of Sports Rock and Tour. If your local station doesn't carry it, visit sportsracx.com where you can hear it, as well as archived interviews with other sports legends. And please follow both shows on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi, reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Las Vegas, here we go!